we want to welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We're excited to have you here. Thank you all for your prayers uh, that went out for my wife and I as we were traveling uh, this last week uh, to my mom's memorial service up in Cleveland, Ohio. We had a, just a great service, a sweet time in the Lord there. And uh, we just are so grateful for our church family. Uh, I want you to know that uh, when we arrived up there, it was 26 degrees. And it had lightly snowed the night before. Yesterday, when we got off the plane in Fort Lauderdale, it was 91. And we were both praising the Lord tremendously that the heat was back. And so uh, it was great. But thank you for your prayers and thank you for your kindness uh, in helping us get up there as well. Just an absolute delight. Uh, before we head into our text this morning, we have uh, Betsy, who's going to be leading our Cross Kids, and it is a wonderful time for all these children. So if we could give thanks to the Lord for all the kids this morning. We have some visiting kids. If they'd like to join Miss Betsy, they can. Just come on down this way. Oh, they're running to be with her. This is good news. They're excited. So this is Miss Betsy. We thank the Lord for these precious lives. Thank you, Bets, for all you do for this new generation of young believers. Great to have them here this morning. This is wonderful. Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 3. We are making our way through this wonderful epistle. It's known to many as the storehouse of God's grace. It is just a wonderful book of encouragement that we just treasure here at our church, and we're grateful for the Lord and his ministry among us in this great epistle of faith. Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning there, we want to also make mention this morning, and we want to remember them in prayer as well, these dear people that are recovering from that tremendous earthquake that happened just the other day in Nepal, a 7.8 on the Richter scale, um, many miles away. If you think of a triangle in a way, Mount Everest and Kathmandu and Pakhara that are just within 90 to about 100 to 180 miles of each other, Mount Everest to the north, Kathmandu directly to the south, Pakhara uh, to the west, that here this is something that uh, has leveled. They're saying the death toll right now is upwards of 2,000. Uh, we know in Kathmandu there were several hundred also that were injured in this earthquake about 99 miles away at Mount Everest caused a tremendous uh, avalanche that occurred. Uh, at our school, the Jackson family, Leah Jackson attends there. Her oldest sister, Sarah, lives in Kathmandu. And so we want to be praying for the Jacksons. They have not heard from their daughter. We're trusting the Lord that she's okay. Uh, possibly it's just because cell towers are out, phone lines, electrical outlets are gone. Uh, so be praying for Sarah Jackson and the entire Jackson family. We hope it's good news. But there are literally thousands of families that have been tragically uh, impacted by this shattering earthquake. And we know that this has an eschatological feature to it, doesn't it? That these cataclysmic forms of phenomenal acts that we see in nature are the trumpets blowing, that the Lord is coming, and that his eternal wrath will have a greater impact. And so 
we would just ask for these dear families. Some have known the Lord, some do not. But we would ask that you would be praying for missionaries and people in that area of the world that know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can be given great entrance into these precious homes and these precious families. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 3, and then we will continue in prayer this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, on the mystery of the gospel revealed to us. The apostle says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations that it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through Jesus, the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's just bow our hearts and minds in prayer this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, we are ever grateful for the truth of Scripture, for the truth and the power of the gospel, for the grace that is only given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that while we were dead in trespasses and sins, that while we were walking and following the course of this world after the prince of the power of the air, that we were sons of disobedience and we lived only according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind that we were even by nature children of wrath by the rest of, like the rest of mankind, Lord. But then you came and you brought the light of the gospel into our lives and you took sinners in the darkness of their sin and birthed us unto salvation through the light of the gospel. Hallelujah for the King that took us who are deserving only your curse and you brought us to the place of receiving your grace. Father, we are mindful of tragedies that go on in this world and even Jesus taught in Luke 13 the tragedies of a, of a tower falling in that day and that the apostles were asking, were they of somehow worthy of greater sin and greater condemnation because of the tower falling on them? And the Lord was quick to quick to correct them because he said the issue is not the tower falling the issue is are you ready are you ready when your soul will be required of you for we never know lord when an earthquake may happen when tragedy may strike when simply you 
You stop our hearts in the middle of the night or we're in a motorcycle or car accident or even falling asleep in just the normal, everyday eldership of our lives. And so, Lord, we remember this morning these dear families in, in Nepal and Pakhara and Kathmandu and Mount Everest and the surrounding communities, Lord, in Nepal. We know that thousands have died and many hundreds have been injured. We would ask for your grace, Lord, to extend to these precious families, to point them to the light of the gospel. Lord, we know we are to love our neighbors, ourselves, and our neighbors, anybody in our path in need. So we pray for Christians and churches and missionaries and mission organizations that are there right now, Lord, to minister to these precious families and the rubble and the aftermath of the shock of this, of this tremendous earthquake. But Lord, to care for someone's physical needs and to ignore their spiritual reality would be the most unloving thing we could ever do. And so, Lord, we pray that these faithful Christians that still live there today will bring to them the Gospel of John, the Gospel of the New Testament, a Bible if they have it, an extra one there. And if not, Lord, how we as a, even a smaller congregation could be used in getting many copies of your word to people in that area. They need help. We pray for Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse and the other groups there, Compassion International and World Vision and Food for the Hungry that are going to be used to bring relief, emergency relief to these dear people. But also, Lord, we pray in the midst of feeding and clothing, providing necessary medical aid and fresh water, restoring electrical power and so forth, that you would bring them the gospel, the life-giving change of the gospel to their part of the world. Lord, we remember one of our own, Sarah Jackson, uh, daughter of Jerry Jackson and uh, sister to Leah Jackson who attends our school. We would ask that no tragedy has happened to her. We know that she loves the Lord and so to be absent from the body, present with Christ, but in the question mark of not knowing what's happened to her, we pray that you've protected her and have kept her safe calm the Jackson's hearts this morning with good news, a good report from Sarah. And Lord, we would ask that you would comfort them in the uncertainty until that news comes. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that was read this morning in Psalm 98, that you are a refuge for us, a present help in time of need, that you care for our salvation and you care, Lord, for the daily needs of your people. And so we offer this service as a token of our love and affection and adoration and glory and praise and honor and worship to your holy name. And now, Lord, as David even prayed, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your word, out of your law. And may we just not be hearers of it this morning, Lord, but most importantly, doers of its truth. Brand it to our hearts. Conform us to Jesus even this hour. For it's in your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. For those of you who are visiting with us here this morning, we've been going through this book of Ephesians. We reviewed last week that chapter one is on the riches of our redemption and chapter two is on the reason of our redemption. Chapter three is on the revelation of that redemption or the relationship of that redemption. We notice here that the Apostle Paul had broken the intercessory prayer that he began in Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 19, and he paused at the end of chapter 1 and in chapter 2 to give us a great exaltation of Christ 
and what happens to the living, breathing church of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in a celebration of God's grace and in praise that now the Gentiles have been grafted in and are part of that family, part of that temple, part of the new community of belief in Christ, not just Jew, but also Gentile, grafted now into one household of faith. And this is the wonderful hope that we have. If you'd like to turn back with me just to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment so you can see this. In verse 11, Paul says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The Jewish people held very tightly to the teachings of the old covenant. And circumcision was that which marked them as to the right of the Abrahamic covenant. The promise given in Genesis 12, the covenant established in Genesis 15, and the sign of the covenant 24 years later in Genesis 17. And he says, this is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, he says in verse 12, at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. A tragic place for anyone to be. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, that's meaning all of us as Gentiles, have now been brought near, notice by what, what means, the blood of Christ, speaking of the entire redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, notice this, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What was that hostility? It was the abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law on a horizontal level. It broke down the dividing wall of hostility between the commonwealth of Israel and the Gentile community. So much so that even Peter had to go through a radical transformation in Acts 10 through a vision where what he was deeming as unclean, meaning Gentiles, that the Lord exhorted him, saying, what I have made clean, you cannot make unclean. That the gospel was to be proclaimed not only to Jew but to Gentile, and Peter soon found himself having, as it were, a mini Pentecost at the first Gentile family to, as it were, come to the gospel by grace through faith through Peter's proclamation, the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And it said it was to reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby again killing the hostility, and he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. The far off meaning Gentile, the near meaning the Jew, fulfilling a prophecy out of Isaiah. And for through him we have access to, in one spirit to the Father. Notice Trinity there. Through him, that is Jesus Christ, we both have access that is unfettered availability now to the very throne of grace, as the writer of Hebrews would say, to find help in time of need. In one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. In Ephesians 1, we were told it was the Father that chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
and that it was the Spirit that regenerates and stirs our hearts, the Father's electing love, the Spirit's regenerating and securing love, and then through Him, Jesus Christ, His ministry to us on the cross. That is His redeeming love. So we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit given to us in the work of our redemption. What great hope we have in Jesus Christ. What wonderful promise we have in the King of kings and Lord of lords for that work. And listen, it is not our faith that saves us. If it was, that would give us something to boast in. It is that God chose us, the Son redeemed us in a covenant of redemption made between Father and Son, according to 2 Timothy 1.9, in eternity past, not according to works of righteousness that we have done, but according to the gift of grace through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the Spirit that causes us, according to our Lord's teaching in John 3, to be born again. You must be born again, he said to Nicodemus, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. We found this quote last night by one of the great Puritan preachers, one of the great Puritan pastors, uh, one of my favorites, if not my favorite, during the Puritan age, Pastor John Owen. I visited his gravesite years ago at Bunhill Fields in England. It was known as the Field of Dogs because it is where the king would bury as an act of derision in this really broken down little piece of of rubble real estate as a sign of uh, persecution and a sign that he was finally rid of some of these great voices for the gospel. If you're ever in England, I would encourage you to go there and to see this wonderful place where many great pastors, Susanna Wesley even, a great wife of a great pastor, is buried there. John Gill, John Owen, and others. But here, uh, Pastor Owen said this one time, Christ did not die for any upon condition if they do believe, but he died for all God's elect that they should believe. That's the gospel, isn't it? He did not die upon the foreseen condition that maybe some would believe. He died so that For those chosen by God in Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, called by His grace from all eternity past, that they should believe. They should believe. This is the work of the gospel. God does not provide a way through Christ and then as some act of a frustrated divine suitor is waiting for us to kneel and confess Him as Lord and Savior of our lives. On the contrary, Aren't you glad that he chose us in Christ in all eternity past? Now in time, upon hearing the gospel, we must believe, we must repent, we must confess him as Lord and Savior of our lives. But we know those things according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that even the faith to believe is God's gift to us in salvation so that no man may boast except in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the gospel. He will not share his glory with another. So here in this wonderful book of Ephesians, we see by way of review this morning, this great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So just by way of review this morning, I would like you to see here, first of all, we looked last week at the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. The apostle Paul says this, in Ephesians chapter 3 and in verses 1 to 3. 
this great mystery of the gospel. He doesn't mean something that is mysterious. But what he means here is some truth that was hidden until the revelation of Jesus Christ came. And specifically here, he's referring to the preaching of the Apostle Paul, of the revelation that he received in Christ Jesus on that road to Damascus. So here we, we have this listed for us. It's a mystery. Notice this in verse 3. It was a stewardship of grace, of God's grace given to him, how this mystery was made known to me by revelation. It took revelatory power from heaven to disclose this great truth to the Apostle Paul. It's a mystery that was made known by revelation. And he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. According to that little epistle of Colossians, we know that that mystery was Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here the mystery, according to Ephesians 2, that dividing wall torn down. But now we see it's the mystery that was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is the apostles, the eleven, that's the twelve minus Judas, and now Paul being, as it were, the apostle who was called by God, led into the Arabian desert, according to Galatians 1, was discipled there by the Lord himself. He says that he did not receive this as somehow uh, a, a mystery that was given in times past in all eternity uh, that was not made known here through others, but it was made known through the apostles and the prophets and directly communicated to Paul here through the preaching of the grace given by Jesus Christ directly. Uh, would you turn with me this morning, just as a matter of review here, a wonderful passage in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. This mystery of the gospel being given to both Jew and Gentile, it was unheard of in the day. The dividing wall torn down, but the relationship, the new community, now the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, being saved through Jesus Christ. This wasn't Jews being allowed in through works righteousness or uh, Greeks being allowed in through the sophist wisdom of the day, somehow discovering their own path. No, it was both Jew and Gentile brought in. God is not partial. He, he echoes this in Romans chapter 2. Paul says he will render to each one according to his works. Now, he's not talking about a works-based salvation, but he's talking about the fruit of the life lived. And he says, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, here's the key phrase, and do not obey the truth. Obedience to what truth? The truth of the gospel. This is echoing the words of John the Baptist in John 3, 36. He who has the Son has life. But he who does not obey the Son does not have life, and the wrath of God abides on him. It's an obedience of the truth of the gospel to be saved. But obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
There is eternal life for those who reject Christ, but it's eternal life unto judgment, unto condemnation. It is full of nothing but wrath and fury, the unmitigated fury of God being poured out upon those who have rejected Jesus for all eternity. There will by tribulation, Paul says, be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Notice this phrase in verse 11, for God shows no partiality. There it is. This mystery of the gospel was for both Jew and Gentile. This mystery of the gospel came to the Jew first, according to Romans 1, 16 and 17, and then to the Greek. But it is the gospel still of salvation. It is a mystery that God could come in the person of Christ and that both Gentiles and Jews now would be grafted into one body through the proclamation of the apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. In fact, Paul calls it, as we go back to Ephesians 3, Paul calls it a stewardship of God's grace. It's a stewardship of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. What great hope. And so he says there in verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there we have it. Fellow members, fellow partakers, of the same body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The good news is that they came and they heard of this gospel in Jesus Christ, and now both Jew and Gentile are there called to wonderful hope in him. There's a mystery of this gospel. Number two, by way of review, we saw last week the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. The ministry of the mystery of the gospel. Notice this in verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Again, Paul was not given over to unnecessary self-deprecation, but he is saying here, I was made. This was something I didn't choose. It wasn't that Paul all of a sudden came to his moral and civil senses and stopped persecuting believers in the Lord Jesus Christ at that time. But he said, I was made a minister. This was something that he was arrested, as it were, by Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me, Paul says, by the working of his power. And he says in verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the great theme that we've entitled this study of Ephesians, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul uses a word here. One commentator said he invents a term, uh, the very least of all the saints. Uh, we said last week that, that could be, this word could be translated the very leaster of all the saints. Whatever the saints were not worthy of in receiving by God's grace, Paul says, I am far much less than they are. I am the least of all the saints, the leaster of all the saints, because this grace was given to me 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Think of it. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, found blameless in terms of the law, but he was a persecutor of Christians. He thought he was doing God a favor by killing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I acted in ignorance in 1 Timothy 1, but yet grace was given to me of what he considered himself the least of all the saints, but the chief of all the sinners. And this could be our testimony, isn't it? The more we grow in grace, we see ourselves as not having accomplished much or arrived much. We see ourselves as the least of all worthy to be saved and the chiefest among all that needed to be saved. Chief of sinners, least of saints. This was the great work of the gospel. Paul had a ministry. It was given to him, and it was to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And so he says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was the great hope that the apostle Paul experienced that the great manifold wisdom and riches of God in Christ Jesus. One author describes this, this great wisdom of this manifold grace of God in such a profound way. He says this manifold wisdom, it's a, it's a wisdom that is intelligent, holy, unique, subtle, mobile, clear, unpolluted, undistinctable, invulnerable, loving that which is good, keen, irresistible, beneficent, humane, steadfast, sure, free from all anxiety, all-powerful, overseeing all, and penetrating through all spirits that are intelligent and pure and most glorious to worship God. What a wonderful way to describe the wisdom of God throughout the ages, the wisdom given so that Paul might preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, literally the angelic beings who, according to 1 Peter 1.12, who long to look into these things, the redemption of sinful people, both Jew and Gentile, through the shed blood of God the Son on the cross for our benefit. What great hope we have in Jesus we see here as Paul was made a minister, if you'll go back with me to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10 and following, I just want you to see this, how Paul was not seeking the approval of men, he was seeking only the glory of God, only to glorify him. He was not a man pleaser, he was a Christ pleaser. And Paul says in this book of Galatians, most likely uh, one of his earlier epistles that he wrote, and he says in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So he says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Notice this, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. It wasn't that Paul met with the apostles and they passed on this gospel to him. No, as the other apostles were instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ personally for three years, Paul also had to be taught by Jesus Christ. And it was the Lord who appeared to him on that Damascus road. As you know, 
I won't go into detail with it, but there are qualifiers to being an apostle. They had to see Jesus Christ resurrected in the flesh. That was number one. Secondly, they had to be chosen by Christ personally. Thirdly, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 12, they had to do the signs and wonders of an apostle. They had to be able to heal and do works of miracles and raise the dead. And fourthly, they had to communicate an infallible truth because Acts 2 says that they continued in the apostles' teaching. There were qualifiers to be an apostle. If you hear of people saying, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ today, don't believe them. Those 12 minus Judas plus Paul were unique in the New Testament era. Now we know a little a, being apostle-like as it were, simply means a messenger, a sent one. And that's why the writer of Hebrews can say the great bishop or apostle of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sent one. But when we're talking about the apostles themselves, the 12 minus Judas who betrayed Christ plus Paul, there was a uniqueness to their gifting. And so he says, I did not receive it from any man. I wasn't taught it by any man, but I received it, notice it here, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord unfolded this gospel directly to Paul. He says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. Amazing testimony. When I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Isn't that a tremendous verse? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot undermine the sovereignty of God and the salvation of his people and how he'll use them in ministry. How many of us, let's be honest this morning, would have come across the Apostle Paul while he gladly was giving approval to the stoning of Stephen and saying, this man, Saul, who is persecuting the church, is going to be used to write 13 or 14, if you count Hebrews, as under the authorship of Paul, of the 27 New Testament epistles, he'll be the greatest missionary, pastor, and apostle known throughout all of redemptive history. Which one of us would have seen Saul and said, that's the man God is going to use? Not one of us, would we? We would have said, this man is beyond salvation. He's a murderer. He's trying to destroy the church. He's killing children. He's killing adults. He was on his way in the Damascus Road by letter to disrupt the church at Jerusalem and to rob them and to see them seized and put into prison. And the Lord said, this is going to be my man for the hour. We, we cannot prejudge. We are to go into all the world and to share the gospel and how comforting it is to see a Lord take in Paul's, way, in Paul's way here the greatest persecutor of the church and turn him into be the greatest pastor of the church. Grace is tremendous, isn't it? If we're in Christ, we are a new creation. Think about it before you and I met the Lord. What were we doing? What were we involved in? What lifestyle were we pursuing? What kind of sins were we exhibiting in our life? And then he saved us. And this is what Paul says. He had set me apart before I was born. Before I was born, he set me apart. But yet it was at an immediate point in time that he was called by his grace. Before Paul was born, 
He was called to serve Jesus as a pastor, as an evangelist, as a missionary, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a teacher of God's word. It said he was, re- he was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's salvation. That's salvation. Our hearts are darkened. And then God opens our sinful hearts and reveals himself to us. In Paul's case, it was to immediately preach. So he says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This was Paul's wilderness experience. And then he says, notice here, after three years, then I went up to Jerusalem. He was tucked away for three years. He was discipled by the Lord himself. And he says he, he saw Cephas and it remained with him 15 days. And he said, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And he says, when I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea. See, Paul, he was heard of, but he was unknown in person. He hasn't visited there. This is really a key thing for any of you who have recently come to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially younger ones here, we would want to say, take time to grow in the faith before you ever seek to be used for the Lord in the faith. It's a very key thing. It concerns me when I see famous evangelists that love to put actors and sports figures up on their platform at their crusades as a draw, or famous musicians, and they've only known the Lord a a few years or maybe even a few months, and they've heard of their testimony, and they give them a platform, and I won't name names, but you could count them on both hands of how many were given an immediate platform too quick. They were young in the faith, and they later rejected Christ, and they went back to the old ways. Paul had to be discipled. Think of what he could have done immediately with that kind of testimony. But the Lord tucked him away for three years. He saw Cephas for 15 days. And then he saw James, the Lord's brother. And he says, I was still unknown in persons to the churches. In verse 23, they only were hearing it said he used to persecute us. Now as preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. There was his testimony. There was grace giving the way. And it says, and they glorified God because of me. What a great hope. Can I ask you just to look here, just at the beginning line of chapter 2 and verse 1. And then he says, and then after 14 years. Isn't that wonderful? We don't know what happened at that 14 years. He was discipled for three. He visited some. They only knew of his name. And then he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. What a great way. God's ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans. He tucks people away. He disciples them. He matures them in the crucible of grace so that they're useful. I remember the first time that I met Billy Graham at Wheaton College years ago. I had just uh, was starting my music ministry at the time. I was 19 or 20 years old, and he has uh, shared this with many people, but it was my first time to hear it. I said, Billy, if you had four years left to live, how would you spend them? And I thought he was going to say, Steve, get out there. You're young. Get out there and tell as many people as you can. He said something I never, never forgot, and it changed my whole focus on ministry. He said, if I had four years left to live, I would spend three years studying and one year telling. See, we have to have something to say. You want to be firm in the faith. You don't want to be given over to the sway of emotion 
to the temptation of Satan with fame, even in the evangelical community. It can crush a young Christian. And here we need to be careful of who occupies the place of authority, not only in the context of a local church, but out in the general marketplace. Listen, the authority of the gospel isn't the personality with which it saves. Do we understand that? John said it this morning, it's not about us, it's all about him. What gives authority to the gospel isn't the personality that is famous in the world's view. It's the gospel itself. That gives the weight of authority. The Lord can change anyone. I don't have the kind of testimony that many would be welcomed on Christian television. I was just a good kid growing up in a wonderful Christian family, and I was lost as the next person. I don't have the testimony where I came from the street and did a lot of drugs and the partying and all that kind of lascivious lifestyle. I know many do, but can I tell you something? It was the same gospel and the same grace that had to transform my sin-sick heart as it does any hell's angel on the street, any prostitute, any drug addict. It is not a different gospel. And because someone who is maybe an actor or an actress or a famous artist or musician becomes a Christian, their name does not give credibility to Christ. It's Christ who gives credibility to them. And we need to alter this. It is not the famous that the Lord is calling. It's faithful people day in and day out. If I can just share just a brief moment on my mom's memorial service all of the young ones got up, all the nieces and nephews and grandkids, and they were all saying, and they all began by saying, you know, I was Graham's favorite. I was Graham's favorite, and one by one was, they were saying that. I was the last one of the family to get up, and I said, well, if truth were to be known, I was her favorite. We all wanted to say that, but my mom had a unique ability to make anybody sitting at her kitchen table seem important. She wasn't about the fanfare. I told a story of when Larry Norman and Andre Crouch were spending the night with us a few nights, and I was just starting out in music, and they were, Larry was the, you know, the great one out of the Jesus movement who created Christian contemporary music, and Andre Crouch, the great gospel songwriter, both are now home with the Lord. And I told the group there assembled from my mom's memorial that one day after they slept in, they would stay up till seven in the morning watching TV or writing songs or whatever. They'd go to bed at seven and get up at four or five in the afternoon and say, you know, Ruth, my mom's name was Ruth. They said, Mrs. Camp or Ruth, could we have something to eat? And she did this for about two or three days. And, and then she told me one morning, she says, Steve, I've had it. And I said, what's that? And she said, I want these guys to work for their food. They've got to get up. And she goes, I'm tired of grown men being up all night long and sleeping all day. So she woke them up that next morning at 7 a.m. and said, get dressed, you're going to work for me today. They came out to the kitchen. She says, I've cooked for you steak. I've made you omelets. I've made you pancakes and waffles. I bought you donuts. I've made you lots of coffee. You're going to work for me today. They said, what do we have to do? She says, you're going to get out and cut my yard today. And Andre Crouch looks at mom and says, but Mrs. Camp, I'm the one who wrote through it all. She said, it's a wonderful song, but you're going to cut my yard. And he and Larry wrote a song after that time outside called After the Lawn, and they gave it to mom as a dedication to her. See, it's not about the name, is it? It's about faithfully serving wherever we are. I praise the Lord. Mom wasn't given over to fanfare. She wasn't given over to that kind of personality. She was given over to simply humble, faithful servants. And one thing that happened at the memorial service, almost everyone that shared said, we, 
we met with Ruth at the kitchen table. We met with her at the kitchen table. She always had a strong pot of coffee going, and her open Bible was there, always. And she would minister faithfully there. You can minister at your kitchen table too. Open up your home. Invite some gals or guys in from the community. Sit down with an open Bible and minister to them. Pray with them. Pray for them. And just she plotted. No one knew of this. It was really a, a private, ordinary ministry, but it was rich in terms of heaven. The Lord knew, and he could use that. It's not even ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Can I tell you, it's all right to be ordinary, and it's all right to do ordinary things. But as we do ordinary things for the glory of God, he uses them for his eternal weight and purpose, doesn't he? And so a cup of coffee shared, a stale donut at the kitchen table, an open Bible, someone hurting, needing to pray with someone who was three or four times their age. Mom was 96 when the Lord called her home. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be cool and hip and relate to people. I'm so tired of churches hiring youth pastors that are 21 and clueless, thinking that's how you attract a youth group and that's how you build a youth group. Can I tell you something? Our church is in the process of building a youth group, and I hope it's the elderly people in our congregation that get to lead it because they need the wisdom that comes from faithfulness of life lived over decades. Faithfulness. So here was Paul's ministry. He was ministering this great mystery of the gospel. This leads us to our third point this morning as we conclude here out of the book of Ephesians in verse 13, verses 11 to 13. Paul not only communicated the mystery of the gospel, he not only was called to the ministry of the mystery of the gospel, but you ever wonder what his motivation was for ministry in the mystery of the gospel? Here's Paul's motivation. Here's Paul's motivation. Let's go to number three here this morning. The motivation of the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. Here was Paul's motivation. It says this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was Paul's motivation. He was a sinner saved by grace. It was according to the eternal purpose that he came to realize in Christ Jesus our Lord. You remember that dear gal at the table where the Lord was ministering and she was wiping her feet with her hair, with her tears, and the Pharisees were mocking her, saying, if the Lord, if Jesus knew who she was, a sinner, he wouldn't allow that. But the Lord was quick to defend her, and he, he said, she loves me much because she's been forgiven much. Isn't that our testimony this morning? Don't we love Jesus much this morning? And therefore, we want to tell anyone that we can tell. We love him much. Therefore, because of that, we've been forgiven much. Therefore, we want to tell others about the Lord. Would you go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here again is Paul's motivation. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. This is his last will and testament. He's leaving his dying words to this young Timothy. 
And he tells Timothy something similar that we just discovered in Ephesians. He says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher. He said, which is why I suffer as I do. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So he's telling Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Guard the good deposit. That's the gospel entrusted to you. Go over with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2. Here we get another insight into Paul's motivation for the ministry, the mystery of the gospel. He says in verse 10, he says, I endure everything, everything for the sake of the elect. What an interesting way of saying it. For the sake of those who would come to Jesus and know him by grace through faith, yes, by the preaching of the word, yes, by the heralding of the gospel, but they were chosen in eternity past. But in real time, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of truth. They had to hear the gospel. They had to endure everything for the sake of the elect. He was preaching so that others would come. And those that would come, he didn't manipulate. He faithfully ministered. His motivation was to clearly, in the sight of God and man, preach the gospel so that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There's part of his motivation. Go with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Dr. Luke is communicating here the early stages of the unfolding of the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostle. And here in Acts chapter 13 and verse 44, it says that, it says the next Sabbath, almost the whole city was gathered. Paul is ministering. This entire city at Antioch Pisidia had been gathered. And the apostle Paul says to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. It's a strong word. They were cursing him, trying to discredit him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. It was to the Jew first, but they thrust it aside. The Lord came to his own, his own received him not. So he says, we're turning to the Gentiles. And for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. A quote taken out of the prophet Isaiah. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. The gospel has come. Good news has come. And they were glorifying the word of the Lord. And notice this phrase, and as many as were appointed to eternal life did what? believed believed my brothers and sisters again we mentioned it last week if we could get a hold of this in our evangelism it's not about a new program a new bumper sticker and a new ad campaign 
It's not about billboards around town. It's not some catchphrase that somehow manipulates people. It's not arguing the truth. It's not debating the truth. It is giving a reason for the hope that is in us and speaking out boldly when it comes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's at the Starbucks downtown, whether it's the Publix while shopping, whether it's your place of employ, whether it's at the school you attend, whether it's a gasoline pump and you have a brief moment to encourage someone in Jesus, whether it's the kitchen table at the house, regardless of where you find yourselves, we know that when people will hear of the good news, that if they were appointed to eternal life, they will believe. They will believe. You don't have to manipulate someone into the kingdom. Let the gospel out and be a spectator of God's saving grace through faith in Jesus Christ to another. And again, God does not regenerate in a vacuum. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. The Spirit of God uses the gospel being heralded, being proclaimed to stir the hearts, to awaken deaf ears, to open blind eyes, to take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh, to bring someone out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and the son of his love. He uses the preaching of the word. And so we herald it to all. Whosoever will may come, may come and partake of this gospel. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved but the great hope is is that all who come all who respond all who repent all who confess Christ were chosen in him before the world began great truth great truth and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region there's the fruit of gospel activity see there was Paul's motivation there was Paul's motivation. Lastly, would you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We saw last week, Paul said, you want to regard me as something? In verse 1, as a servant of Christ, as a steward of the mysteries, and it's required that a steward be found faithful. There's motivation for the kingdom. There's motivation for the gospel. That's who... We want to please is the Lord. But he says here, he says, that's why. He says, I'm not aware of anything in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 4, against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. In other words, self, taking, taking self stock of someone, self-evaluation means little. He said, it's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, who will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. You see, Paul had an had a undying belief that he did this for God. He did this for the sake of God's people that would come. He even says that it was by the fear of the Lord that he would persuade men. It was the eternal place he was going to have to stand, as we read here, before God one day, before the judgment seat of Christ. He was going to have to give an account of what he did in this life. You and I will have to stand there as well. Not judged for salvation, judged for eternity. That's already been settled in Jesus on the cross but judged in terms of our works that we've done for him. Are you serving him faithfully? It begins at home, 
It goes to our places like in concentric circles from the home to the neighborhood, to community, to places of work, places of recreation. Do people see us? Are we missional in our application of all things? And so the Lord here is using Paul. He's giving him great feed here for his ministry. And he says, before this world foundation, the true church, true which is in all the universe, this ministry of reconciliation was decreed in Christ, given to Paul in ages past. And the people of Christ are an essential part to play in that. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 3. The apostle then continues on with this in verse 12. He says, not only do we have this purpose realized in Christ Jesus, because of that we are bold. Boldness. Boldness. Here's that same word again. Because of access with confidence through our faith in him. What gives us boldness in ministry? Again, it's not intestinal fortitude. It's not, it's not having a type A personality. It's not being more choleric than pragmatic. No, he's saying my boldness comes because I have access by faith through the Spirit in Christ to God. That's boldness. I've been saved. I've been forgiven. I was a murderer. I was a killer trying to destroy the church. And by grace, a stewardship of God's grace and this divine revelation was given to me. I now speak with boldness. We have a boldness in proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your boldness too, beloved. That's my boldness. Are we confident of these things? Bold for the kingdom. It was through Christ in one spirit to the Father. The assurance here is through faith in Jesus. It was his place in the presence of God that was unchallengeable and unplaceable because Paul found himself in Christ. This was the freedom that he has, the access by faith, the eternal purpose realized in Jesus. This gives him the holy boldness that he has. The attempt here to honor the Lord, no matter what that freedom gives us opportunity to do. But it's the freedom, according to Hebrews 4.16, that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness to find help in time of need. May I say it this way? You will only do much for God publicly if you approach him with boldness privately. As you approach the throne of grace with boldness privately to find help in time of need, then you can herald that message with boldness publicly. Why? Because you're driven by the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, the respect and honor of the Lord, and you will not be tempted by the flattery or fear of men, either by threat or by award. You will say, I aim to please God. I want to be a man pleaser in all that I do. And that's the bold motivation of my life. Lastly here, he says, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. Verse 13, so I ask you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you which is your glory. You see, Paul was an ambassador in chains. 
He's a prisoner of the Lord. He's a prisoner of the Lord. And he said it here at the beginning of this chapter, for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And he says, this is your glory. My chains bring glory to Christ. My chains give access to you of the assurance of the gospel. My imprisonment causes me to preach with more boldness. Why? Paul was convinced that he was the prisoner of the Lord because God is sovereign. And after all the havoc that Paul brought upon the church, he was right where God would have him as a prisoner, boasting, suffering for the very gospel that he caused others to be persecuted for. This dear apostle was living with holy boldness because of the access in his standing with God. And because of this, beloved, he was saying to these dear brothers and sisters in Christ, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. He's saying, I have an honorable status. In chains, in stocks, in bonds, in prison, yes. Because I'm the Lord's prisoner. I'm not Nero's prisoner. I'm not Rome's prisoner. I'm not Satan's prisoner. And so he was able to discharge his holy commission along the highways of the empire and along the byways of prison cells. In custody or in community, the Apostle Paul, it was an honor for him to present this gospel on behalf of the Gentiles for which he was suffering this affliction. Listen, being a member of Christ's body should bring us all to take encouragement Paul's afflictions, he was saying, should call forth to his friends as a whole-hearted, heavenly-sent doxology, even if it was a doxology in chains. It was a praise to God. I deserve his wrath. I deserve eternal judgment. But yet God, in his wonderful mercy, called me before I was born, Paul says, to be set apart, to be a voice for the gospel, And it's for this gospel I suffer. And I suffer according to the boldness and access that I have because of the Spirit, because of the redeeming work of Christ, because that dividing wall has been torn down. He was a Pharisee. He proclaimed the gospel to the Jew in the synagogue. But yet, he was sent as an apostle to the Gentile to bring them the good news of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, that's your call too. That's your call. We are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. May we do so with boldness and with love and with grace. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this call of this wonderful apostle, one that we can relate to, Lord, one that did horrible things before he became a follower of Jesus Christ, but now He was a missionary. He was a servant. He was an evangelist, an apostle, a teacher appointed by these things, by your grace. So much so that he could suffer with joy in his heart because it was for the salvation of those that you called even before this world began. And so, Father God, we would ask that this would be our vision this morning that we would turn aside and that we would eclipse all things from our view except for you because this was what the vision that the Apostle Paul needed. Not a vision of a great campaign, not a vision of clever marketing or promotion. He needed to see Jesus. 
He needed to know of Christ's eternal favor and have a right standing before God and to ask for access into that standing by grace. And because of that, no matter where he found himself, he could fulfill that holy mission, that ministry of the, of the mystery because he was motivated not by men, not by fame, not by power. Even in prison, he could say, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray for me that the gospel goes out that I may bold for the proclamation of Jesus. Oh, Lord, may we be bold in our mission this week for you right here in Palm City right with our families and friends and on our streets with our neighbors, right at the places that we frequent daily so that we can serve you and honor you in all that is done. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our church. We're a small church, Lord, by comparison of mega churches out there, but we're your people. This is your church planted in 1959, still faithful to this day. All these years later, 56 years later, you've been faithful. Thank you for your ministry to our families and our kids. Thank you for your ministry in this neighborhood, through this church and through Cross Academy now, our school. Use us, Lord, to herald this gospel. Nothing else matters is that we see Jesus Christ and him crucified proclaimed. We love you. Use us for your glory. For it is in your precious name we pray. Amen.